0: The following program contains language and subject matter that you may consider unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised.
1: Greetings, Earthlings. This is Captain Smell of the Starship Smelly Prize with my international co-host, and I. And while we're not soaring through the cosmos looking for alien chicks, we're hanging out in the nuttiest head on and off the internet. That is the
2: Jackal bird. Are we ready to blast off? You are about to enter
3: a new dimension in sound. Right, yeah.
1: Jackal. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the new king of Freddy
3: What the heck happened last night?
0: Hang on to your hats because you're about to go on a heck of a ride through time, space, and
3: the multiverse. How do I reach these keys? Atlanta, Georgia, Greensboro, North Carolina. China, North Carolina, Chicago, Tampa, Florida, Miami, Dallas, Texas. I don't care where the city is. How do I reach these gigs? And with all the high-tech gizmos these days, the biggest trick the jackal ever pulled was to convince
0: the world that he doesn't exist.
3: I reached
2: the gig. The (laughs) jackal.
4: From his CD, the man's a musician. He's just an amazing guest, and I love having him on. He's going to be on tonight on Inside the Jackal's Head. So, welcome everybody to the show. Sunday night, we're here on PSN Radio, ready to get things going. Soul Radio is also with us. We got Talk Stream Live and
2: one heck of a good intro song. Yes, we're about to fall.
4: such a cool track you know it's one of those songs that really reminds you of uh, a lot of times when you're going through bad times and it's a great song to play when you're going through some bad times i myself have been going through a couple of uh bad weeks here and last week we were supposed to have mac on and i uh, have to say on air first and foremost that he is on this week because last week i had to deal with a major issue and i want to first and foremost send a special shout out to my mother who is still in the hospital and uh, let me tell you when life kicks you it kicks you hard and the poor lady has really been kicked hard she just went through spine surgery this past week Uh, just thinking about it really really like just makes the the hair on my arm just stand up it's really creepy man I think that she had to sit there and go through spinal fusion surgery but she's doing a little bit better and uh, we have uh, another meeting with the uh, surgeon on the third and uh, hopefully everything works out with mother because I would hate to do this show going through more grievance I want to do this show you know happy and And I want to be excited for the show. And, you know, nothing gets me more excited than talking about ufology and talking about extraterrestrial life and getting distracted from the everyday problems of life itself. And that's something we tackle on the show a lot. And Mac Maloney is no stranger to that. He's written a few books on the subject. In fact, tonight we're going to talk about one of his books that he just sent me this past week. And it's called Beyond Area 51. And I'm actually just getting into this book, The Mysteries of the Planet's Most Forbidden, Top-Secret Destinations. It's a really, really good book. It's on Amazon. If anybody uh has an Amazon account, go on there and buy it immediately. If not, go create an Amazon a- account and buy it anyway, because it's a really good book. Mac always delivers with his books. And, uh, you know, he, he wrote a book about UFOs during wartime, which was really, really interesting. And we had him on last year on, uh, on that book, and... It's, he's one of the few guests who actually has his own show, so he does this as well. He's a host, and I've actually been on his show, which is always crazy for me, because I'm not used to being the person interviewed. I'm always used to being the person that's being the interviewer, not the interviewee. So being on his show was, uh, was a whole lot of fun. But um, anyway, I don't want to get too deep into other stories. I just want to get onto some news that I have on here, because... Time is short. We're going to have them on in a few minutes. So, a uh, few reports that's come in. I have box office reports that's come in already for the week, uh, proving once again that women do in fact like going to the movies. The movie Heat got off to a very strong start this weekend. The weekend's other new movie, White House, uh, White House Down, uh, failed to uh, de- de- fail to really ignite any uh, any support. Uh, for the movie itself, while March's uh, Olympus has fallen and w- and actually wound up collapsing under weight of other appealing options in the market, this year, here, but still, it was Pixar's Marvel, uh, Monsters University that came in first place once again over another busy summer weekend the animated prequel dipped 44% to an estimate $46 million for a 10-day total of $171 million that's slightly better uh, of a hold than Toy Story 3 had when it dipped 46%, or Brave when it dipped 49%, uh, and way better than Cars 2, which dipped 60%. If it doesn't get completely obliterated by uh, Despicable Me 2 this week, Monsters University should ultimately be able to get close to about $300 million. Uh, Playing at uh, 3,181 locations, the movie Heat took it in second place with an estimated $40 million. The star of the movie, of course, is Sandra Bullock, and it's actually her highest grossing opening uh, ever, I think, uh, head of the uh, movie *The Blind Side*, which opened at 34 million, which is kind of shocking because she, of course, was in *Speed*, and you would think that was her biggest opening, but it wasn't. *The Blind Side* was her biggest opening with 34 million. Even though maybe they don't count that as her opening because that's really Keanu's movie, you know, *Speed*, which it was funny because he wasn't in the sequel. But anyway. It says here, It can't be said enough how important the uh, bridesmaid's connect- connection is here that 2011 comedy is immensely popular, and reteaming the director with one of the movie's breakout stars, McCarthy, was a smart move. Add in Sandra Bullock playing the role right with her uptight wheelhouse, and this movie looked like a catnip for female audiences. Wow. That's great reporting there on boxofficemojo.com. Catnip for female audiences. Uh, let me see. Also, in the second outing, World War Z, fell 55 percent to an estimate 29.8 million. Well, that sounds like a little bit steep of a drop. It's at least on par with the big uh, budget blockbusters uh, that's come on the last uh, few years, and as this is actually on par with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which had 186 million. Hmm, Which that's what that ended up with. So, this World War Z will probably end up with a little bit more than that, but. This year, to date, the movie has earned 123 million. So yeah, probably around 200, 250 million somewhere around there. Uh run for a distinction, highest-grossing Brad Pitt movie too. So it might actually end up topping Mr. and Mrs. Smith and being his biggest movie to date, which is also shocking. He hasn't really had that many big blockbustery movies for such a big actor. You know, you would expect him to be in like a bunch of like 300, 400 million dollar movies. But looking at his uh, box office mojo let's see 148 megamind which he did a voice i guess that doesn't really count uh glorious Bastards, 120 million uh the curious case of benjamin button 127 million so yeah he you know he's a 120 130 million dollar uh box office attraction i think well, ocean's 11 183 million mr and mrs smith 186 yeah that is the highest grossing one so, this has the chance to be his biggest movie ever. And a lot of people were dogging the movie. A couple of my friends seen it and they, sh- they, sh- they thought it was just phenomenal. So, I still haven't seen it. Uh, but it says here, continuing on after getting crushed in its second frame, Men of Steel managed to ease the bleeding this weekend. The Superman reboot fell about 50% to an estimate of million, 20.8 million. To date, it turned more than 248.7 million, which makes it the second highest grossing movie of the year so far, behind Iron Man 3. Which earned about 405 million, which is kind of funny. Iron Man 3 is the top movie, and Men of Steel is the second movie. Interesting, huh? It's now on track for uh, somewhere between 290 and 310 million. In sixth place, uh, This is The End, which I still haven't seen, and I'm dying to see that movie, too. It's- So funny. Dipped about 35% to an estimated 8.7 million. Through three weekends, the Apocalypse Comedy has earned 74.7 million and is now guaranteed to finish ahead of Pineapple Express's 87.3 million, which Pineapple Express was hysterical. But I am dying to see this at the end. Everybody tells me this is just absolutely hilarious. So I got to see that movie immediately. Uh, So that's the box office uh, report pretty much for the weekend of, well, this past weekend. So there you go. Now, record-setting heat waves, you know, this is funny. My uh, pops was telling me about this uh, earlier, uh, about, I didn't even know this as I went on CNN and I started, you know, researching about the record-setting heat wave of this Gone across, across the country <clears throat> But my old man was telling me that he saw some reports Where it was like 128 degrees somewhere And uh, he wanted to know more about it So I started checking into it And it turns out that Death Valley Which by the way that has a, a very you know good name for you know The kind of temperature Because you're going to die if you're in 128 degree weather But Death Valley resident Mike Wood Says that he's used to the heat But when his running shoes began to melt He started to pay attention The ground temperatures here can approach 100 degrees. So you're talking about pretty much boiling the shoes. Everything that kind of holds the shoe together kind of comes apart, Wood said. Wood hit the pavement running despite the temperatures that hit 128 degrees this weekend in Death Valley. That's crazy. Now, if you still don't believe in global warming, if you still don't believe that there's something to that, well, then you're just an idiot because uh, that's... 128 degrees is, that's a crazy high temperature. That says your highs in Las Vegas hit normally about 117 degrees on Sunday. This tide of the all-time record for the city, first set in 1942 and then tied in 2005, the National Weather Service reported that the uh, record-setting heat wave is expected to break the Southwest well into the work week. So it's going to actually be very, very hot all work week. Civic. Uh, In emergency officials throughout the Southwest say that there is never, uh, there there was ever a time there was never a time. (laughs) Let me start that again. Civic and emergency officials throughout the Southwest say, if there ever was a time to worry, this would be it. The reason isn't just the oppressive heat that is plaguing the region; it's the fact that it's it's expected to hang around for days and possibly even get worse. Worse than 128 degrees. What, what's worse, 140 degrees? Holy Jesus. The heat may uh, have led to the death of an, uh, uh, of an older man, elderly man. In Las Vegas, paramedics found a man dead in his home, uh, which did not have air conditioning. How the hell do you not have air conditioning in Death Valley? How does that happen? That should be required in every single home. Like, you shouldn't be able to build a home and not have an AC unit in there somewhere. Las Vegas Fire and Rescue spokesman Tim uh, Szymanski said that the man died of cardiac arrest and that the heat may have contributed to his death. Yeah, no, no, really, you think? Although the coroner will make the final determination, he said paramedics also responded to two very serious heat-related medical calls on Saturday, even though the victims had air conditioning in their homes or cars, Las Vegas Fire and Rescue tweeted... They're tweeting. That's crazy. The heat wave uh, comes just a couple weeks before the 100th anniversary of what the National Weather Service calls the highest reliable, reliably recorded air temperature on Earth, which was 134 degrees on uh, July tenth, 1913 in Death Valley's Greenland Ranch. I cannot even imagine standing somewhere where it's 134 degrees. Oh, that's hot. Now... Mac writes about places like Area 51, which is, of course, in Nevada. You know, not too far away from Death Valley. Uh, We'll talk about the heat, maybe uh, having something to do with the aliens. Who the heck knows? I'll bring that up during uh, the interview with Mac later on. But that's crazy, 134 degrees. Now, I imagine if we actually top that this year with 140 degrees or something like that. That's crazy. Uh, People say there's no global warming. Yeah, Uh it's here, uh, let me see, this is a good quote, we <laughs> we have more work uh, than we can handle, no kidding, said Max Gailey of uh, Cathedral City Air Conditioning and Heat uh, and Heating in Palm Springs, California, we're running all over the place trying to do what we can, he says, heat hurts your insides too. He says, I'm not worried as much about the uh, people who have lived here a while, said Sergeant Troy Sterlings, police spokesman in uh in the uh, Lakes Avenue of Arizona near California state line. He said it's more of the tourists coming into the area, even from Southern California who aren't used to this kind of heat. U.S. Airways had to cancel 18 flights Saturday because of the heat. Spokesman Todd Lechner said, uh, he said planes are certified to take off up to 118 degree weather, but the temperature crept up to 119 degrees in Phoenix on Saturday, so they actually halted 18 flights. That's incredible. Hot weather. It's so hot that the airplanes can't even fly. Wow. I, you know, mental note don't go anywhere near Nevada, Death Valley, or Arizona. Stay away from California for a while. Even though they say now in about, uh, I think there was a report that came out that in 2030 or something like that, 2033, 2034, uh, most of Florida is supposed to be completely underwater. I can live with that. I need a, you know, why not? I can live underwater. Better than the heat. <clears throat> anyway, the president Barack Obama did something really nice for his people today, or, or this, over the past week. I don't know if you guys heard this, but uh, U.S. President Barack Obama pledged seven billion dollars Sunday to uh, help combat frequent, uh, frequent power blackouts in sub-Saharan Africa. That's right, seven billion dollars went to the South, the sub-Saharan African people. Funds from the initiative uh, dubbed Power Africa will be distributed over the next five years. Obama made the announcement during his trip to South Africa, the the continent's biggest economy. Uh, Yeah, anyway, it says, uh, access to electricity is fundamental to the opportunity in this age. It's the light that children study by, the energy that allows an idea to be transformed into real business uh, it's the uh, lifeline for families meet their most basic needs and the connection that needed to uh, plug Africa into the grid of the global economy, he said. Yeah, it's $7 billion, that's a lot of money to uh, be plugging away there, President Obama. Uh, you know, uh, we could use a couple of those billion to uh, help maybe, I don't know, feed the homeless here in America. Just saying. You know all those homeless people who live near the White House? About uh, sparing a billion and giving it to uh, those people, you know, I love when it, it, we spend money overseas so easily, and and, and you know, it, it, we have so much to actually fix here, but yet we're con- consistently giving money to countries outside of the U.S. It's just amazing the amount of money that's thrown away. Not only by the Obama administration, but by every single administration that that we've had in the last—I don't know—fifty, hundred years. This guy, I mean, it's not just President Obama. I know a lot of people on the right like to uh, blame Obama for everything. You know, he's the Antichrist according to some. I don't think he's the Antichrist. I just think he's doing the same thing everybody else is doing. He's given to his own people. You know, his his pops is from Africa. So. That's what he's doing. He's giving back to his own people. He's doing something nice for them. But, uh, President, uh, Mr. Obama, how about uh, feeding some of the homeless people you have here? How about giving some of that money back to uh, the American people? Just saying. Now, Supreme Court rejects the petition to halt gay marriages in California. So, not only is it getting hot because of the weather over there, but it was getting hot all week over the whole gay marriage uh I guess, uh, passing. <clears throat> That's right. Gays can now get married in California. Rejoice, everybody. Everybody can now be miserable in California.
3: All right. That deserves a round of applause. Everybody can be miserable in California.
4: Let's be let's be serious. You know, marriage is just uh, former slavery. I mean, uh, you know, I, I completely shun marriage. I, you know, but hey more power to them if they want to be miserable like the rest of us. That's uh, that's great. So uh, you know, I have no issues with uh, gays getting married. The more power to them, like I said. But the Supreme Court had to step in and they had to actually reject a petition from an anti great uh, an anti gay marriage group uh, to hold. The uh, same-sex uh, weddings in California. This is crazy. There's still, you know, bigots out there who actually went and you know did their marching and were anti-gay. Hey, you fags can't get married. Uh, no, no gays can get married. I mean, really. 2013, really, we still have this crap going on, but Theodore J. Uh, Boturis Jr., I think I'm butchering his last name, but anyway, one of the attorneys who challenged California's gay marriage, he's an idiot anyway, so it doesn't matter, uh, his gay marriage uh, ban in federal court told the Los Angeles Times on Sunday that Justice Atter- Attorney Kennedy had uh, denied the petition by Proposition 8. To sponsor uh, actually Proposition 8's sponsors uh, to put an immediate hold on all gay weddings in the state. According to uh, this idiot, Kennedy did not commit uh, on the decision. But on Saturday, Proposition 8 backfire uh, backers filed an emergency petition requesting that the Supreme Court vacate the uh, Ninth Circuit order that cleared the way for same-sex weddings to resume in California. The Ninth Circuit, uh, June 28, 2013, ordered uh, supporting to dissolve. The stay is the uh, least in long line of uh, ju- uh, judicial irregularities that have unfairly thwarted pe- uh, petitioners' uh, defense of California's uh, marriage amendment. The paperwork filed by attorneys with Alliance Defending Freedom said failing to correct the uh, appealed court's actions threatens to underline the public's confidence in its legal system. No, no, really, no crap. The ninth uh, court order came as a surprise to many as the three-judge panel had previously said it would Uh, It would wait to lift the hold for 25 days. The order allowed the weddings to resume just two days after the Supreme Court declined to rule on Proposition 8's constitutionality. Uh, It says here we have, uh, and this is a quote, we have never before upheld the uh, standing of the private party to defend the constitution of the state statute, and the officials have chosen not to. Chief Justice John Robert Shorten in the Supreme Court, majority opinion, we declined to do so for the first time here in other words guys go get married who the hell cares if you're same-sex or not it doesn't really matter it's your life live it and uh, you know that's good to see that uh, they stopped all that nonsense let them get married we'll be right back with Mac Maloney and we're gonna be talking about his new book Beyond Area 51 you're listening to Inside the Jackal's Head on PSN radio sometimes on SoFlow radio hopefully tonight who knows let me know, guys, if, if it's coming in on so floor or not. I know TalkStream Live has definitely uh, got us going. And uh, by the way, if you guys want to check out the uh, the page on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash the jackal. That's T H A J A C K A L. Catch me also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the jackal's head. Oh, one word. And uh, again, the phone number here is seven eight six two four five eight one two seven. We'll be right back with Mac Maloney after this commercial break.
1: Send me some ideas you have. It was, uh, you know, TV guide books on the Flintstones, on Drag Man, on, you know, everything, you know? And then in the last paragraph I wrote, "Or how about a book about Mad Max and an airplane? I just sat down and wrote it. I didn't even write them any kind of an outline or anything. I mean, it really was Mad Max and an airplane after world war three everything's destroyed and there's a few jet fighters left and america is in all this turmoil and everything and they need a hero so wingman's name is hawk hunter he's like a genius he graduated m.i.t at fifteen he was the youngest fighter pilot ever to go into the air force then then he went into the thunderbirds he's like a zen fighter pilot he gets in the plane and he becomes one with the plane. And I was just making this all up out of, out of old cloth. Um, you know, I grew up in the 60s and we were always thinking tomorrow was going to be the end of the world because of the Cold War and everything. So the idea of, well, what would happen if after World War Three and there was this post-apocalyptic world... Yeah, you know, it would scare the shit out of you, frankly. But this was, was what my life was like growing up—just watching a lot of TV, reading a lot of comic books and stuff like that, and watching Twilight Zone. And now, when I'm sitting down trying to think of what's the next uh, scene of the next chapter or whatever, all that stuff is just still in my head. Always interested in aviation, always interested in sci-fi, and always interested in, in the military itself. But I just kind of write it as I see it. Maybe that's what makes people like them is that they're a little bit different. I don't know.
3: Talkstream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. If you're in the market for a luxury pre-owned vehicle,
5: then stop by Prado Auto Sales, located at 7300 Southwest 8th Street in Miami. Prado Auto Sales has been family-owned and operated for two generations, and they've been taking care of South Florida since 1964. They work with every major bank and also have in-house financing available, so everyone is approved. Receive a trip for two to a four-star resort with any vehicle purchase. Prado Auto Sales has over 150 vehicles in stock, so call them today at 888-719-5329. That's 888-719-5329 or online at PradoAutoSales.com. back.
0: Seven three-three three seven four. That's nine five four nine seven three thirty three seventy four. Or visit keyinformation.com by the Glass. Buy the Glass is a show about beverage culture. Brad Hubbard. What I'm going to do is I'm going to connect the dots on how everything works together. It's really all about how we enjoy things, how we enjoy life, and how beverages play a big part in that. I'm going to bring in people that are going to display their aspect of the culture. I'm going to bring in people that are going to show you different products. We're going to look at places where people go to consume these beverages and how they all interact. Things are built around the actual beverage itself. By the Glass. Thursdays from 6 to 7. Only on SoFlo Radio. Dot .com
4: listening to the sounds of Mac Maloney's Mechanical World, another brilliant track by the guest tonight, Mr. Mac Maloney, who is also the author of the new book, Beyond Area 51, amongst other books. Mac, welcome back to Inside the Jackal's Head, my friend. It's such a pleasure to have you back on the show.
1: Well, thanks very much, Angel. I really appreciate it.
4: Love the song, man. I really love the CD you sent me a while back. And I played it all the time. I played it a lot on the show, but I actually dig riding out to the you know your cd in the car it's really really good music but uh how did you get inspired to make music let's let's talk about that real quick
1: well you know it's it it, it goes way back um my uh, older brother when i was growing up was in a um, surf band uh this is like even before the beatles came out so i'm really dating myself and wow uh, yeah no kidding yeah, there was a lot of, um, there was always a lot of music in our house. My grandfather ran a record store in Boston. And even as a little kid, he, uh, you know, he would let me go in and, and, and take any record I want because these were 45s, uh, you know, and just bring it home and play it. So I was always, I always had access to music and just, um, when my brother started, uh, you know, playing in a rock band and so on, I don't know, I guess I just wanted to imitate him. And I always, um, you know, tried to, um uh, you know learn how to play an instrument very hard to do hard to play you know some you know I've, I've tried so many times to try to play uh, learn how to play guitar but I finally you know, learned how to play bass just uh, really very elementary and I was in a few garage bands and things like that when I was in high school and then it just really kind of continued from there
4: it's like a, it's one of those things that becomes a lifelong passion doesn't it Music.
1: It yes it is in and, and especially being in rock bands i mean yeah. i think if you interviewed you know, 100 rock stars, 90% of them would say, I got into a band to get girls. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's what that's what we did. That's that's exactly where we started our first garage band. I was probably in four or five of them. And um, you know, they didn't have to really play. You just had to kind of look good, you know. And uh, so like. then as we, uh, you know, as I got older, I always just, you know, kept at it and then... Um, when we finally put the band Sky Club together about four or five years ago, you know, we've uh, done this CD. We have a, we're we working on another one called Ufology, um, and nice. uh, that should be out by the end of this year. And um, so things are going good. You know, we're finally, uh, we're not spring chickens anymore, but, you know, we're, uh, uh, we're having a lot of fun doing it, and a lot of people like the album.
4: I really like how you center a lot of it towards what you write about also. Uh, is that done on purpose, or is that just kind of happened by coincidence at this point?
1: It was, you know, originally with with the first Sky Club album, the idea was to write a soundtrack for a um, for a book, you know, because while I'm while I'm sitting here writing books, I'm always listening to music with my earbuds, uh, depending on what kind. Sometimes it's rock, sometimes jazz, or classical, or whatever, but um, it's sometimes like house and trance music and, and things like that. But it just came to me one night, wouldn't it be interesting to have a soundtrack for a book, just like you have a soundtrack for a movie or a TV show. And then, you know, we figured well, doing a soundtrack for a book would be you know, that would be a huge, huge undertaking. So, we just said, well, how about if we just come up with a short science fiction story and do a si- soundtrack to a science fiction story. So when people buy the first Sky Club CD, you know, there's that little comic book in it that tells you the story, and yeah. and it's kind of like the music that goes along with the story. So we did a soundtrack to a science fiction story, and I've always been a big science fiction fan. That's
4: awesome. Now, the new book, Beyond Area 51, uh, not science fiction, uh, possibly fact, mm-hmm. because, you know, There's there's a lot of areas out there beyond Area 51 that a lot of Americans don't know about, a lot of people don't know about. A really cool book. I've I've been going through the book this week, and uh, I love the forward, by the way, by Nick Redfern, who's a good friend. He's a really good guy. Yes, sure. Uh, Great great forward by him on on the book. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the book, and uh, you know, of course, I had you on when you had the the previous book, UFOs during wartime. You know, what inspired you to write this book?
1: Well, you know, just from strictly. A business point of view, when you sign a contract with a publisher, they always have um, uh, the 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 rights first rights to your next idea. So, when you have a book published, you know in the contract you're bound to send them another idea, and then they can they have the right of first refusal, is actually what they call it. So, I had to send them an idea, and I had talked to my editor uh, about it, and I said, you know, there's just so many places around the world. Um, in this country and around the world that are like area 51 but you know we're always hearing about area 51 but you never hear right. about these other places you know and uh you know there's there's a number of books out there about area 51 so you know the, the idea was well let's do a book that's that's about things like area 51 and and that's really how it started and um so you know just uh signed the contract and got to work on it and I you know, did a lot of research, and uh, as you say, Nick uh, Redfern did the forward. He was very helpful, um, kind of pointing me in the right direction
4: uh, for incredibly, a few chapters. Incredibly knowledgeable
1: man. In oh, Redfern unbelievable! Disney. Yeah, and 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 yeah, a good guy in that. Um, he really helped me a lot with this book, mm. and also he knows that um, there was a, a few sections that I sent to him. And and I said, just tell me that I'm not making any mistakes. You know that the <laughs> UFO community would would see as glaring errors. You know, right? And uh, and he was just great at that. And and we have a whole section in there about trying to find um, Britain's Area 51. And he really helped me track down. We 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 actually think we we discovered where England's Area 51 was. And I would never have been able to do that without his help.
4: You know, for the listeners who might not even know what Area 51 is, give them a quick rundown before we move on to other areas like it uh, of what Area 51 is, just serve for the new listeners who don't know much about this
1: topic. Well, it's it's in the middle of Nevada, as you said. It's about seventy-five miles northwest of Las Vegas. It's out in the middle of the uh, Nevada desert. It's it, ostensibly it's an air base and and we do know some of the stuff that they do there. They test, you know, um, the uh, U.S. military's newest spy planes, their newest uh, jet fighters, and so on. And um, we know they do that because I know people who who have been there. In fact, my older brother, who was in the Air Force for twenty-five years, he was there a few times, and But the question is, is what else do they do there? And there's been a lot of stories that this is where the uh, U.S. military, you know, keeps the remains of crashed UFOs, uh, possibly uh, the bodies of um, beings that came out of those crashed UFOs. A lot of people think that we are building our own UFOs, and they test them out there, and and there are there are people who have seen these things flying around out there, and um, they're not quite sure what they are. Uh, there's more stories that go on, say that there's an underground chamber underneath Area 51 where there's all kinds of really crazy stuff, and um, so it's it's a place that it's shrouded in mystery. There's no doubt about it, and and it's a very kind of secure place. You know, it's interesting because these days, you know, where everything gets leaked out, you know, especially with the NSA right. and stuff. And with WikiLeaks, you'd never hear any leaks coming from Area 51. Uh, and so it's a very, very... Not, risk- since,
4: Bob, not since Bob Lazar.
1: Not yeah, since Bob Lazar it. in this. Yeah. And, and we, go into the, uh, we go into his case in a book, and there's a very good chance Bob Lazar was actually mm-hmm. a disinformation agent for the U.S. military. Yeah. And so uh, whatever they do out there, they keep it very tight. Mm-hmm. And... And they're very isolated. There were t- there, there were sections around there where you could climb up to these mountains 20 miles away and actually look down on the base. But now the Air Force has bought up all those areas. So you, a civilian cannot no longer physically see uh, Area 51 from the ground. The only way you can see it is, you know, from Google Earth or something like that. So it's a very tight place, very interesting place. Yet we actually found a place that is even more secret, uh, even more secure mm-hmm. in Nevada. So... Uh, Area fifty one is like the most famous secret base. You know what I mean. Everyone kind of knows where it is, but there are many other places in this country that, that are even more secret.
4: Do you, do you think the government has, you know, allowed there, for there to be too much talk about Area fifty one? It's actually uh, a lot of people take pictures and, and really have made the focal point of uh, the, that base to kind of like hide the other bases mm-hmm. across the country.
1: Yes, I think that there is some kind of a, like a misdirection campaign. It's like it's, magic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. magic everyone you know look at 12, what's going on at area 51 over here where right. and and therefore you are not looking what's going on or at what's going on over there i i think that there is a uh, there's been kind of a, like a long standing um, as i say misdirection campaign where mm-hmm. like for a long time the af was denied that the place existed yet of course it exists you know um I, I really do. I think it's I think it's just I, I know that it's just one of several things that are out there in the Nevada desert. So you never hear about these other places. So I think if it is a misdirection campaign that it's worked very well. Now what's
4: the the, the I guess the biggest uh, base other than Area 51 that you, we know about right now?
1: Well, there's a place up in uh that's only about 100 miles north of uh Area 51 it's called Tonopah 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 Air Force Base. And okay. It's it's near the town of Tonopah, which is just a, a small town, uh, four thousand people, and that is where that is, the, small. Yeah, yep. that is small. that is where the stealth fighter was um, was first tested. The stealth okay. fighter flew out of the Tonopah Air Force Base for ten years before anyone knew that the stealth fighter existed, and they only flew, flew it at night. Uh, they gave it um, they gave it um, the numbers and the in the code names of of other airplanes, so no one would know that we actually had this this airplane that did not show up in on radar. And, right. um, and the people in the town itself, um, some of them, you know, worked at the base and, and some of the pilots lived nearby. No one ever said anything. I mean, it's a really amazing story how, like, this whole little town and then all the people who were at this base kept this thing secret for 10 years. And um, so the stealth fighter moved on and the – in the 90s and now they have something else flying out there no one knows what it is but something is obviously being done out there so um and very few people know about Tonopah the, the interesting thing about this book is that I have a friend who I grew up with um you know went to grade school with him back in uh, in Boston and he turned out to uh, he's someone who he was in army intelligence for a long time and now he works for let's say the government's three-letter agencies and um okay. He The book begins with he and I having beers at a bar and me telling him about this idea and asking him if he would kind of walk with me through this book. So he shows up every once in a while during the book, and he, he's telling me whether I'm going in the right direction or not. So it's probably the first UFO book ever written where we actually have someone who works for the CIA, you know, looking <laughs> over my shoulder telling me, you're going in the right direction, you're going in the wrong direction. And he his quote from the book about Tonopah, he says, in my business, everyone always talks about Area 51, but no one ever talks about Tonopah.
4: Now, I mean, how do you know that even his information is credible, though maybe he's leading you in the wrong direction as well?
1: Well, what happened was I would, I would, the way I would do it is I would go and get as much research as I could. And this was okay. only about the U.S. military bases. And... I put it together. I would write the chapter, and then I would have him read the chapter, and I would just say to him, just like I said to Nick Redfern, I said, you know, have I said anything wrong here? Is there anything here that is completely, absolutely inaccurate? He, he never told me this is going on there. This is going on there. Right. I just said, am I, it, it, you know, have I come up with wrong information? And you know, in each case, uh, well, with Tonopah, he said, no, everything you've written about Tonopah is true. Um, we also did, you know, there's, it, as I say, he shows up during the book, you know, at, at, he, he's kind of like the uh, the special guest star. And then the last chapter is we go out and have beers again and we discuss what was written in the book.
4: So everything happens over beers. Why, why not? <laughs> why not? It's, it's better I'm than milk and cookies. No kidding. Now, you know, it's an interesting uh, idea that there's a base... That it's not that far off uh, from Area 51 And it's uh, as big As that in such a small town Now of course some of the town folks might have You know been you know, made aware of What was kind of going on that there was government stuff Back when they first opened the base mm-hmm. Could that be a possibility and they, they just you know kind of Swept so it under the rug and didn't really care about it? Yeah. Because, I mean, to, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, I've heard about the stuff, you know, bomber being test flown over cities and people thinking it was an alien craft. Ever since I was a little kid when they first, you know, started seeing these objects, you know, that we later found out they were our own aircrafts. Uh, it, that's, I'm sure, happening with stuff that's going to come out in the next 50 years that the government's been working on. But how much of that is really, you know, something that came out directly from an alien craft, do you think?
1: Well, you see, we know that that in the past um, that what the um, what the air force has done, for instance, is that they will mm-hmm. they will send up some kind of a secret craft, okay? Like for instance, it was first the U two spy plane, right. even though that was kind of CIA, and then the SR seventy one Blackbird, which was kind of like this enormous plane, and they 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 would fly it over you know cities and so on, and then they would monitor how many people reported ufo reports like to the local police or something and what that did is that gave them an idea of just how visible this thing was and so they they encourage people to to at this time to um they encourage people to make ufo reports because that was their way of you know kind of monitoring just as i say how how visible are our airplanes so but you know if if the question is and i get Ask this question a lot. Does the U.S. you know actually have UFOs hidden at Area Fifty-One or these other places? Does do do we reverse engineer UFOs and and that, some of that technology goes into our own stuff? I don't know. I, I really don't think anyone knows that. You know, it's hmm. it's all conjecture. Some evidence that may point to it. Um, I don't know. I, I, that's 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 a question that I, I keep going back and forth on. I really don't think that the U.S. military knows. Uh, very much more about UFOs than you and I do. I I think that they're in the dark more than uh, people think. Uh, I can agree
4: with that. Yeah, I I can agree with that. Because if
1: they weren't, if they knew more and if they were reverse engineering UFOs, I think that we would see really mind-boggling technology at this point, Mm. but you know, for us to get into orbit now, you still have to, you know, build this enormous rocket to put a little thimble in in space, you know. And I think if, if we were somehow tapped into how UFOs fly or how they're able to fly, I don't think we'd be shooting off you know, chemical rockets, you know, I think we'd be, we'd have anti-grab devices now. Why not? Right, yeah.
4: Well, this goes back to Bob Lazar now, going back to
1: that topic. Uh, You know, he
4: said that we had that kind of technology and we were back engineering it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And of course, you mentioned that you think that, you know, there's more to the Bob Lazar story. I personally have always said that I thought that, you know, the man was a bit, disinformation agent mm-hmm. and he's just putting out false information that's always been my take on bob Lazar. Right. recently the company that he owns is uh has a contract with the, with the government he's actually right. working for the government again right. so there's there's that as well uh, mm-hmm. I, i've always said like i said he's a government plant and he put out an, a, a false story just to kind of spark people's imagination and again play the whole magic act with area 51 <laughs> but what's your take on bob Lazar?
1: Well, I think it was it was partly that, and and I think there's actually just a, a more concrete reason, and and this is what it is: is once again, as we we're saying, Area 51 is a place where we know that they test secret aircraft, and but what was happening was especially in the '60s and the '70s when the Soviets and everyone else were uh, shooting off spy satellites. The people at Area 51 knew that, let's say, a Russian satellite went over twice a day. So they that meant that whatever secret airplane they had out in the runway, they had to you know, schlep it back into the hangar, wait for the satellite to go over, then pull it back out again. And they were constantly doing this. And then when the Russians started uh, launching infrared satellites, what would happen is even when they took the plane off the runway, it would leave a heat signature on the runway. The infrared would pick it up, and, and, and that's just as good as having a photograph so they were in this position of you know physically having to move this you know whatever secret airplane they were testing off the runway at least twice a day and then covering up the runway and all this stuff so uh, one story i heard and and i really tend to believe it is that what they did was they had bob lazar come out and say that no you know all this really crazy stuff is happening 20 miles to the south near papoose lake which is um what he termed s4 uh this hidden underground base where these UFOs were um, being uh, held, where they were being studied, where they were being flown. And then, as it turned out, that once he came out with this quote-unquote information, it turns out that the Russians, what they used to do then is they started flying their satellite over S-4, over Papoose Lake, and it kind of took that pressure off the people at Area 51 from moving the secret airplanes all over the place. So, to me, kind of knowing how the government works, that makes all the sense in the world.
4: It really does And uh, his story, you know, it's is a bizarre case Because if somebody comes out with that kind of a tale You would expect the government to be up as behind immediately yes. And he's kind of just like Ben Nonchalant Going about his business, own, owns a company Like I said, he just started uh, working with the government again mm-hmm. And some contract that they got with uh, with the government uh, So it's a, it's a bizarre take But you know, Mac, looking in ufology uh, in looking at the whole spectrum There's a lot of Bob Lazars out there there's yes. a lot of people that are completely cluttering uh, the, the entire ufology uh, field and are completely putting out false information. That's alarming when you think about the amount of people that are doing hoaxes and are just putting out false information. Uh, that really, really makes it harder for the credible people to come forward. Not only that, but it makes it harder for the everyday folks to believe or even take serious the subject. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with that?
1: Yes. Um, I mean, the perfect... Um Example of that is what what goes on you know or what went on at Kirkland Air Force Base mm-hmm. in New Mexico which is close right. to the uh mm-hmm. uh Del- is that how you say that Belsay Mesa or Dulce Del- 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 yeah Dulce Mesa yeah. I mean there was a there was a guy down there we have a chapter on it and uh, in the 70s he was a a person who had a um he was a physicist he had a company right next to Kirkland Air Force Base and he thought that he had detected UFOs over uh, the storage bunkers where nuclear weapons were being stored. He, he had tracked these strange kind of uh, radio signals, and he had seen things flying over what, what that he, up the places he knew where nuclear bombs were stored. So he reported this to the people who, uh, you know, were running Kirkland Air Force Base, and they actually granted him an audience where he came in and he told them everything he knew. Now, uh, what they did was. They uh, later broke into his house, went through his computer, went through his files, and then had another meeting with them where they said to him, "Okay, look, we're going to level with you. You know, you're on the right track. There were UFOs over the uh, base, and and actually, there's uh, you know an alien base in Delta uh, Mesa, which is um, you know some about 80 miles, I think, north of Kirkland Air Force Base, and they completely misled this guy right down the wrong track, and uh, and and actually." set him up as an unwitting disinformation agent because what he had actually stumbled upon was um that that, uh, that that these were signals that were coming from these nuclear storage devices he had but they didn't want him to come out in with the real story because they thought then the Russians would look into it and they would also be able to interpret these signals and with what he saw flying over the nuclear storage facilities were earlier versions of the stealth fighter. So he actually unwittingly stumbled upon two major, major classified projects that the Air Force was doing, and they figured, well, the best way to get him off track is to tell him that his theories about UFOs were correct. And this poor guy, you know, went Hmm. insane. I mean, he literally went insane. He was in a mental institution twice. Um, There's proof, documented proof. In fact, the person who was behind this uh, whole... Campaign to discredit this guy who worked for the Air Force. He came out and said, "You know, I was behind it." Uh, his uh, conspirator was a guy who worked for a UFO. Um, he was in a UFO group in New Mexico who, you know, turned all, uh, who went over to the dark side, worked with the government to drive this guy crazy. Uh, even when when he died, this guy still believed that there were fifty thousand aliens up in dulce Mesa, and that everything that the U.S. Air Force told him was true. And it turned out that it wasn't. Uh, it, it's really the destruction of a human being uh, by the U.S. government, by the U.S. Air Force, for reasons I still can't understand. I mean, if this guy stumbled upon these things, which he did, why didn't they just sit him down and have him sign a security agreement, something that hundreds of thousands of servicemen sign every year? But instead they chose to go this route, and the poor guy wound up in mental institutions twice, and then he finally died. That's incredible. What was this man's name again? His name was, um, uh, his name was, I have to look it up in the book. I'll find, he has this kind of a, an unusual name, and I'm not sure whether we should uh, give the name or not, but we will. You know. Well,
4: uh, that's beside the point. Uh, you know, that's an amazing story, and I'm sure that's, you know, happened several times. In And in the, the, the incredible part about that story is they're trying to hide something that is government-made, and, and they're telling him stuff that... Uh, it's just funny that they're using the whole ufology field to kind of cover up a government project. That to me is hysterical, but uh, I that to me has always been what I thought was going on. With ufology I've always kind of thought That the government used uh, People's interest In UFOs Because let's face it UFOs are popular man It's hip It's Mm -hmm. like aliens You know that's just The way it is So I'm pretty sure The government saw that And they've used that As a way to cover Other things they've been Doing behind the scenes Right Uh, So you know My take is that Look there are aliens Out there Maybe they've come to earth Sure you know Probably happened I don't deny it, but I don't think they're coming to Earth as often as people make it seem. And I think mm-hmm. the government has a lot with that has a lot to do with that misinformation going out there uh, to the public and stuff like this. Unfortunately, has to happen. Uh, that's it's terrible. That, that is an incredible story.
1: Right. His name was Paul Benowitz and and Paul uh, Benowitz. Right. And and you're right. They used the the public's interest in UFOs to their advantage. To steer this guy away from, you know, which are admittedly classified programs. Okay, you, right. we didn't want the Russians to know where our nukes were being stored. We didn't want them to know that we had a stealth fighter. I understand that, but to but go to, to make lands, him go crazy. Yeah, to make him go crazy. Yeah, yeah. Really sad. It's a really sad story, and, and I hate to say it, and you know, it's 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 kind of a, a, a you know a fable for our own times. You see what's going on here, you know, with. The NSA, you know, I mean, it, when that story broke, I, that was there was really no new news in that whole thing. Uh, what this right. what this guy has said because that stuff has been going on since the Patriot Act was uh, passed. And what I mean is them looking in on people's emails and so on and so forth. And and you have to do a certain amount of that. You know, if you don't do it, then you know someday a, a terrorist is going to light off a nuke in the United States. Believe me, that. Something like that will happen if we don't prevent it by these extraordinary means. The problem is is that where is that going to be 20 years from now, you know, when they're going to know every move we make? And if that gets into the wrong hands, um, we're sunk. We're sunk as a democracy, that's for sure. Well,
4: at this point, they really do know every move we make. You know, There's social media keeping track of every mm-hmm. move we make. So, uh, you know, f- things from like Foursquare and Facebook, Instagram, you know, pretty much anything we do on our phones or or smartphones. I mean, they they can track you with GPSs. Yep. They know every every move we make now. If,
1: if they want to, if if they identify you as someone as a to use the term a person of interest, uh, there's a, there's a there's a way there's an algorithm uh, where they can look at just thousands, tens, millions of conversations at you know in a second and somehow go in there and if you are saying certain things, if you're looking at certain things, if you're communicating with certain countries, uh, certain countries are communicating with you over any kind of media, social media, chat rooms, porn sites, things like that, then they can definitely reach down and and pull you out and investigate you. There's no doubt about it. And um This is just, this is the world we live in. You know, this is high technology. I I believe that the reasons for doing it, you know, at at the end of the day day are good because, I mean, what's the alternative to have, uh, you know, Chicago and New York City nuked? Um, It's just the situation that we've got ourselves in, fighting terrorists that have, you know, it isn't like you're going to go to war with another army. These people are slippery and they know, how to hide, and they know how to do things, um, you know, on the cheap, let's say. And um, if they ever get their hands in a nuclear weapon and they can get it into the United States, there's no doubt in my mind that they would bite it off. So, you know, how do you prevent that? You look over everyone's shoulder.
4: You know, on the book, you go into illuminating the Illuminati. How much of the Illuminati do you think is responsible for the entire uh, conspiracy, hoaxing that's been going on in ufology? I,
1: I, you know, I, I don't really... I don't really believe if the uh, in the Illuminati in the way that some people in the UFO community believes in it. I believe there's definitely a um, an elite uh, that is uh, not just in this country but around the world. Uh, yeah. It's it's what we refer to as old money, you know, the old money and, uh, right. and yeah. And believe me, living in Boston. There's a lot of old money around, and you there's can a lot see of
4: old in Boston. Yes, there's a
1: lot of old and everything, and you know, and it's <laughs> and it's you know, and it's it comes out of Harvard, it comes out of Yale. I mean, you know, the last four or five presidents in in the majority of their advisors, you know, came from Yale. I mean, Clinton went right. to Yale, Bush went to Yale. You know, and and it, it's that kind of elitism that really runs things, and and it's those kind of people who you know, get appointed to the top positions in government and in business. And the rest of us, you know, we don't have a shot at doing anything like that because, you know, we're not from old money. You know, I'm certainly not, and I'm sure you're not, and I wouldn't want to be, to tell you the truth, because, you know, anytime I've run into some of these people, and, you know, over the course of doing things in, um, in Boston Research and just other things, I've run into some of these people, and they're, they're generally despicable people and uh you know they're they're filthy rich and they look it and they make you feel like you know uh you're lower than them and and i think they are the people who kind of you know put this planet in the position it's in you know with a lot of pollution and so on and so forth but you know do they have really any interest in ufos do they you know do they know what ufos are and so on i i just don't i think they're a convenient enemy for a lot of the ufo community but i really don't buy a lot of it to tell you the truth
4: No, I completely agree. You know, and speaking of old money, I'm not even old money or new money. I have, you know, I have no money. You are me, brother. I'm broke money. But, you know, speaking of making money, in the world of ufology, as you know, there's a lot of folks making a whole lot of money. I recently put together a website, which I think you asked me a question in, and I don't think you were aware that I was the person who created it, but it was Ufology Exposed.
1: Oh yeah, right. right. That was you.
4: Interesting. That's, that's me. That's my website. Uh, reason I put that together is because the more I do the radio show, the more I talk to people than ufology, uh, the more I snoop around and the more I got to know people. I know who the authentic, uh, you know, reporters are like yourself, like Nick Redfern and, uh, you know, Stanton Friedman, people that are really, uh, trying to put together, uh, you know, the message, uh, from real accounts and putting it forward in, you know, so people could be enlightened or or so people could be aware of what's been going on for the last 50 60 years but then within all the the real credible individuals you also have the sharks and the snakes and the charlatans who are just you know in it just for the the quick buck And they make up things, you know what I mean And that's, those are the people that that I really, especially on this show I'm going to go after, and you know I want to get Your take on that, because there is a lot of folks within The world of ufology, just to name a couple And I'll name drop, it's me doing it I'm the one responsible for it, but uh, For example, Zachariah Sitchin is one That I go on, that I'm going on really heavy and I know he's passed away and he's not here to defend himself so I'm just talking about the material that he's put out there on mm-hmm. some of the postings that I'm doing but uh, you know for example he created an entire cult-like movement behind him mm-hmm. and Billy Myers has done the same Yes, you know, what, I agree. What, yeah. what, are, what are your feelings of, of you know individuals like this who not only you know came out with a story and a book but then created an entire cult-like movement behind where they were trying to sell
1: right well they, they, you just said it they're trying to sell you know and the thing is is that you don't have anyone, um, you know, th- there's no way to, uh, you know, to, to correct, there's no way to verify what a lot of these people are saying because no one knows what UFOs really are. You know, they, they don't. And, and like Willie Meyer, for instance, you know, I mean, if, if what he said was true, okay, then, we would all know about it, and, and we would see the results of it. We would see the fruits of it. It, it wouldn't be just his story. And, uh, again, with some of the people who, you know, claim what's going on in, in, the, in Dulce and Mesa, what we were just talking about. I mean, you there are people who have written books, who have done DVDs, who have, you know, go on the lecture circuit, who will make money by standing up there and telling people there's 50,000 aliens living in a mountain in New Mexico. I can guarantee you there are not 50,000 aliens living in a mountain in New Mexico. It's well, there might be happening. illegals
4: from Mexico, but that's about oh. as close as you're going to get to aliens. Yeah, right.
1: I don't <laughs> think they'd stay in the mountain today. And, you know, and with some of the stories that they say that are going on in there, it, it it's just nonsense. But, see, the thing is, is that, you know, how can you prove nonsense is nonsense if, you know, what the core subject is UFOs where where we don't know what they are to begin with. So anyone can say anything they want about UFOs, aliens here, monsters, Bigfoot, and I think what a lot of, um, where a lot of the blame goes to, too, is now that we see these TV shows, like Hunting for Bigfoot, okay, or whatever the name of that show is, when you see it on TV, and and it basically shows these guys, and and, and they're really kind of ridiculing them in a way, right. but, you know, if they found Bigfoot, that would be headline news, okay, yeah, well. That would be headline news. So why would you watch a show that you know was filmed maybe two or three months in advance? You know they haven't found Bigfoot. So why would you watch it other than to kind of... You know, make fun of these two guys running around out in the woods and laying bacon out and all this jazz, you know. Right. So there's, there's, there's people who are going out and giving lectures and that kind of stuff on it. And, and, you know, I, I'm not saying people who can go out and give a lecture and say, we looked for Bigfoot, we found this evidence, you know, this might be happening and so on and so forth. That's one thing. But if you go out and say, I've seen your, uh, Bigfoot, here's the film, here's the, here's the footprint, and you're making it all up, that's dishonest. But uh, once again, there's no way to prove that is dishonest because no one has ever found Bigfoot. So, it, you're right. It clouds up the, it, you know, clouds everything up, especially with UFO, in the UFO community. It it clouds up, you know, the main goal, which my main goal, and I know it is your main goal, and a lot of people like Nick Redfern and Jerry Clark and these people are really, really, you know, serious researchers. Is we want to figure out what the UFO puzzle is. Right. We want to figure out what it is. And the only way you're going to do that is to look at examples that that are really documented, that have a lot of witnesses, and try to figure out just one little piece. If you can, if you can determine exactly what happened here and exactly what happened here and here and put all that together like a puzzle, like a jigsaw puzzle, maybe someday we will have the answer. But by going out there and saying there are 50,000 aliens in a mountain in New Mexico and so on and so forth, that just clouds the issue. It puts us back, you know, years and years to finding out what the real truth is. But once again, how can you regulate these people? You can't.
4: Now, The only way you really can is by not supporting whatever they're trying to pitch. Right. You know, and... But it, even that's hard because I think a lot of it has to do with people's desire to really explore the possibility of not being alone in this universe. Everybody that's, wants to know that answer, you know
1: what I mean? It, that's exactly, you've just, you've, you've perfectly encapsulated what the whole problem is, is that people want to believe. They right. want to believe this stuff is true. They want to believe that it's all true. Um, even when I sat down with my editor when we were first doing UFOs in wartime, he said to me, you know, you know, just from a publisher's point of view, it's published by uh, Penguin Books, which is the largest publisher in the world. So, when this guy talks I, f- about the publishing business, I got to believe he knows what he's talking about. And he said to me, uh, when it comes to books on UFOs and angels, your readers want to believe. Right. And that has always been in the back of my mind, okay? But on the on the other hand, you can't just make stuff up and say this is what's happening which some of these people do and I know the people you're talking about you might not want to name them but I see them on Facebook a lot <laughs> they've they've actually agreed to come on my show and then they've listened to a show of mine and then they've canceled because yeah. they know I'm going to ask them you know what I mean pointed <laughs> questions and they just don't want to go through it you you have to have some kind of credibility and you have to talk about cases that you know have some kind of a documentation Right. You know, it, whether people believe it or not, you, you you have to have a little bit of credibility. If you stop making this stuff up out of whole cloth, then then we're all sunk. We're all sunk. Going not. No, you know, find you, you, what you know what I love, be.
4: Mac. What I love now is the the new crop of individuals who've come out. And you know, I, I can mention names, but if you find the Facebook page that I have been talking about, you'll see who I'm talking about. The new mm-hmm. crop of individuals who've come out. And what they're doing is they're just taking uh, the spot of another person who was telling this story. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, Eric Van Daniken and everything that he's put out over the years. He's getting older. He's not mm-hmm. doing as many lectures as he used to. So now, of course, he has his own representative kind of, in a way, you know, telling the story that he told. And these sure. people are almost like, they're like his puppets. And, yes. you know, Michael Horn f- falls into the same category uh, with Billy Meyer. He's like his puppet here in the U.S. And that's what we're getting a lot more of is the, the puppets of the individuals who kind of started the hoaxing back 30 years ago.
1: Right, right. And, 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 and this information is falling on new ears all the time. And right. I say, wow, you know, and, and they say, well, look at these pictures that – you know, that Billy Maya took and there were 50,000 aliens in a mountain in New Mexico, wow, you know? I mean, it, what a wonderful world we would live in or a different world we would live in if, if it was all true, you know what I mean? If, if half of it was true, you know, this wouldn't be the same world. I mean, right. the, the the things that really bother me, and these are the people who really no longer come on my show, are the people who believe the Nazis have, uh, you know, a base on the moon, these type of people, and that the Nazis had flying saucers during World War II and they have a secret based on in Antarctica and so on and so forth. You know, it's a great story. It'll it's make a, a great, great movie, story. maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, but it's a science fiction story. You know, exactly, because yeah. None of it is true. I can guarantee you the Nazis did not have UFOs fighting against our bombers in World War II. They don't have a secret based on an Antarctica and they didn't land on the moon in 1941 or whatever these people... You know, claim. But if you talk to some of these people, they they can't believe that you would question this. You know, they're so ingrained that they've they've come to believe these myths themselves. And I think, especially when it has to do with the Nazis, is that I think some of these people just want to keep them the the whole Nazi idea alive, which is really despicable.
4: Well, then there's that. But uh, you know, really quick to answer, uh, if that's even possible. Look, if the Nazis had UFOs, uh, they would have won the war. Exactly. Yep. Period. Exactly. So yeah. the fact that they didn't win the war kind of tells you that they look. They might have had plans to build a UFO, but they never had a, a working UFO.
1: Right. And, and if they were able to land on the moon in 1941, which a lot of people—not a lot of people, but some of these—would have been toast.
4: <laughs> that was the case. Exactly.
1: You know, we, we'd all <laughs> be goose-stepping right now.
4: Exactly. It, it's amazing what people would believe, though, and you just have to put out some false information, and it's like people will eat it up.
1: Yes. Right. Right. And if it's, and if it's new. And if there's a twist to it, um, they just and, and it really does come back to what you said. People want to believe that there's something more going on in this life on this planet than what meets the eye, you know. Because I think a lot of people feel, especially these days, they kind of feel lost. They they kind of feel like, especially that country is, you know, isn't as great as it used to be. The opportunities right. are not what it used to be. Um, you know, back in the 40 years ago, I think that people thought, gee, by 2013, you know, all illnesses will be cured, we'll be driving around in jetpacks, you know, we'll be on Mars, you know. And, and that future never came true. I'm
4: because, still waiting for my hoverboard, by the way. Right.
1: You know, what happened to those? I mean, they were supposed to be designing those in the 50s, you know. Right. Um, you know, the only thing that's really happened is that the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. That's it. And and that that is not... It's not a pleasant chapter in the history of this world, that's for sure. And I think a lot of people just, they feel, you know, once again, they want something to be more special in their lives. So if it means buying a book or listening to a DVD that says there's 50,000 aliens in a mountain in New Mexico or Bigfoot is in every state in the Union, I don't know. I, I can feel for them. I really can, you know, but it's just too bad that they're being led down that path and not down a path that can actually lead to maybe an answer to some of this stuff.
4: No kidding. Guys, we're going to go on a quick commercial break. You're listening to Mac Maloney on Inside the Jackal's Head. Again, it's on www.psn-radio.com. You can find us and call us if you want. Open lines, rest of the way, 786-245-8127. Get in there, psn-radio.com. Get in the chat room. We'll be back with more Mac Maloney
3: in a minute. 16
2: light years from home. All on my own, they say Separated by fools Who don't know what love is, yeah Do-do-do-do do 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 If I could fly, I'd pick you up. I'd take you into the night and show you a love like you'd never seen. Never seen.
0: 3, 3, 3, 7, 4. That's
3: 954-973-3374. Or visit KeyInformation.com. Talk Stream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store.
5: If you're in the market for a luxury pre-owned vehicle, then stop by Prado Auto Sales, located at 7300 Southwest 8th Street in Miami. Prado Auto Sales has been family-owned and operated for two generations, and they've been taking care of South Florida since 1964. They work with every major bank and also have in-house financing available, so everyone is approved. Receive a trip for two to a four-star resort with any vehicle purchase. Prado Auto Sales has over 150 vehicles in stock, so call them today at 888-719-5329. That's 888-719-5329 or online at PradoAutoSales.com.
0: The George Rodriguez Show. Who? I said The George Rodriguez Show. You don't know George Rodriguez? Wasn't he the guy that filled in for Neil Rogers? Yes. That George Rodriguez. What's he like? Oh, he's a short little Cuban fella. Kind of funny looking. Well, when's he on? 12 to 3, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. On SoFloRadio.com and SoFloRadio.net. The George Rodriguez Show is much more than... Adequate.
3: Here's a riddle for you. What do the California gold rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Those are the roots of trouble. No, no. I, I hear the, the love store.
4: We are back on Inside the Jackal's Head. That, of course, is the great CD by Mac Maloney, and that's the track Star Surfing, 1962. I really dig that track, Mac. That's a really, really groovy groovy
1: tune, man. Thanks a lot. As as the
4: old-timers would say, that's a groovy tune.
1: We we started that. We have um, one of the keyboards that we work with, believe it or not, is a $100 Yamaha keyboard that you would get to learn how to play. Yeah. And there's all these patches And we just hit a button And, and it, it, uh, it starts to play a patch That you can play along with And we just found like a rhythm section On that Yamaha We put it into the control board At the recording studio We MIDI'd it We built it up And then we just played instruments On top of it So um, that's, how that, that's how that song came about that's, A lot of people uh, like that song the best On the whole CD
4: Yeah, no, it's really good write-off music Like you know, just as it just a Cruise around the beach Or something mm-hmm. like that uh, which uh, I love doing. Uh, not so much recently because it's been a little bit hot out here. You know, we, mm-hmm. I was talking about the temperature earlier in the show, and, uh, you know, what's the temperature around your neck of the woods?
1: Well, right now it's 75 degrees, and it's it's uh, 11 past, uh, uh quite a past 11. I'm up in the Boston area. In fact, I'm actually 40 miles north of Boston. I'm very close to New Hampshire. And we just don't have, we just have not had this type of weather. Um, the weather we've had for the past five years here it's just really changed, um, mm. anyone who lives up in the northeast will tell you that we don't have spring anymore. We go right from winter to summer it's very strange i mean we, we will it, there's been there were many days in May for instance, where we would turn the heat on in our house in the morning and then we'd have the air conditioner on in the afternoon um, wow. it's 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 become very strange all all around the world and I heard you talk about earlier you know these people who don't believe global warming exists. Believe me, it exists.
4: You know, 128 degrees, can you imagine that? I don't know if to melt shoes, Mac. That's crazy.
1: <laughs> it, it, it's. I've been out in Vegas, and I've been out in L.A. during hot weather, and, you know, I can't imagine 128 degrees. I was in Vegas once. It was 95 degrees, and it was just, like, unbelievable. Of course, you don't have the uh, humidity like you have up here, but right. it was just, you know, it was painful. I can't imagine what 128 degrees is like.
2: No,
4: and they're saying that we might top 134 degrees, which is the all-time record. That'll be crazy if we top that this year. You know, in the book, you have a chapter here about harp, Uh, right at the end of the book. uh, It says, uh, "Last stop playing the harp." Mm -hmm. Now, how much do you think harp has played in uh, to the weather changes and or weather modifications that we might be going through?
1: You know, I'm not sure. I I I tend to believe that they are up to something. up there in Alaska that they're not talking about. I mean, HOP is this place that's um, well, it's in Alaska, and what it does is it's, it's a forest of antennas, if you can imagine that. And what they do is they shoot tremendous amounts of electricity up into the atmosphere, and they say they're doing it because it, it can improve communications or there's ways to bounce the power off the atmosphere and back down to Earth and discover oil deposits and all this stuff. But, you know, that really sounds like a cover story um sending that does. yeah sending that amount of electricity up into the atmosphere a lot of people believe what they're trying to do is that they're trying to do stuff like to deflect the jet stream and so on and so forth and use weather as a weapon and um and there's a lot of good information there's a lot of good kind of uh, documentation that this is what they're doing up there and we're not the only we the united states we're not the only ones who are doing this the russians have one of these things there's one in norway i'm sure the chinese at some point will have one uh, using the weather as a weapon is something they've been trying to do for years i imagine if you were able to suddenly create a tidal wave and and have it sink an enemy fleet or uh, mm. a hurricane or something like that you know in the middle of a battle um but there's also a lot of people who think that this thing has gone wrong, and that's why our weather is so, you know, screwy for the past, uh, you know, 10 years or so, where we've had these very, very violent earthquakes around the world, um, where we have these hurricanes that are just these massive hurricanes and so many more hurricanes than before. So, you know, let's put it this way. Sending, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of volts of electricity up into the atmosphere, it, it, it isn't... It, it's something that there's no way it's not having some effect on it just can't weather. be good it just can't be good yeah, and scary. and like i say we're not the only ones doing it other people are doing it and yeah, you know, who knows but it's a very it's the last chapter of the book it's it has nothing to do with ufos but we knew we had to put it in there because it it, it frankly really creeps me out when i uh when i did the research about that place
4: you know it's crazy we're taking from the planet's natural resources by draining of its oil mm-hmm. and uh then we're doing things like this with harp uh, you know when stuff really starts to go bad on this planet we we're kind of bringing it on
1: ourselves aren't we for sure yes i mean just the amount of pollution that is Jeez. you know okay. thrown into the atmosphere every day And the government, you know, lets uh, these uh, big industry get away with it. I used to work for a huge, well, I'll say it, I used to work for General Electric. And I was a public relations guy for them. And we had to do uh, some kind of study on um, how much pollution was actually being put into the air every year over the United States. And it was millions of tons of pollutants. And what these companies can do is that they can buy these credits. So if you have a... If you have a factory in the northeast, let's say, that is just polluting the heck out of everything, you can build a factory in Arizona that doesn't pollute at all. If your factory in Arizona, you know, is kind of free of pollution, that gives you the right to actually put more pollution into the air in your polluting factory, if you know what I mean. It's, it's like you can buy credits, you know, pollution credits. You can use them anywhere you want. So if you have a factory that doesn't pollute at all, that means you can essentially double the amount of pollution you're putting out your factory that is polluting things. That's how crazy the EPA is when it it deals with big business. Everything goes big business's way when it comes to the government. I'm not talking about Obama or anything. I'm talking about the the foundation of this government, the United States government, is that everything goes business's way. And right. it doesn't ever go the consumer's way. Five thousand people die in this country every year from from tainted meat, you know, from food poisoning in hamburger and stuff like that. Right. If some terrorists were poisoning our food supply and five thousand people were being killed a year, we'd go crazy. You know, we'd find out who it is and we'd go take them out. But our own you know, our own industry is doing this to us and the government does nothing. That's where the government fails us, in my opinion. That is exactly. exactly that, and then they
4: have the stupid war on drugs and all kinds of other stuff, well, which don't. makes a- a- absolutely no sense. And it- it's uh, it- it's incredible that uh, the American people has been as quiet as we have for so long. And you know, I hate to say, civil uprising is what might be needed. But you know what, uh, the government really is uh, just uh, doing things which make absolutely no, no sense whatsoever.
1: Well, it's in, in. I agree with you. I mean, I think that that. This place, the, the United States, is probably one of the best places to live in the world. But it is, yeah. you know, for, it, for instance, we have the highest you know uh, health insurance rates in the world. I mean, we are astronomically high compared to other places. Yet we have you know our health care system is forty seventh. You know what does that tell you? That tells me that that the the, the insurance companies making tons of money. You know and. But they're not providing the service that they should be providing. You know, um, once again, the government lets them get away with it. The government lets these people who are putting you know um, uh, these uh, food, you know these these products, these food products that you know aren't as clean as they should be, or as they sh- you know as we were talking about before, or tainted meat and stuff like that. Yeah. Five thousand people die from this type of stuff every year. The government is not protecting us. Water pollution. I mean, you know. It it's it's so ingrained that civil disobedience, I don't know where you would start. You know, what would yeah, you, you know, do? Burn the,
3: down Washington? And, I don't know what and, you do.
4: And then it's crazy. Then we have reports of the government giving Africa $7 billion for lighting so they can get their power. Well,
1: I can out. actually tell you why they did that, as crazy as it's going to sound, okay? They did that because they didn't want the Chinese to do it. Hmm. It's as simple as that. The Chinese, uh, you know, they're looking for... Um, raw materials, oil, and, and things like that all around the world because their economy is booming like you wouldn't believe. Someone said on the radio the other day, it took them five years to approve one runway being built at Heathrow Airport because they had to go through all these kind of, jump through a lot of hoops with the local governments and stuff. Right now, the Chinese are building 75 airports in China. They're building 75 airports and it took ten or five years to get one runway done at Heathrow. The Chinese economy is 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 growing at such a fantastic rate. They, can't, they don't have enough oil. They don't have enough resources. So they're going to Africa to get uranium, to get steel, to get oil, to get all these kind of natural resources that are there. And Obama figures, well, you know, if we don't, we have to be there too, is what he's doing. So hmm. I agree. $7 billion could be better spent here at home there's no doubt about it but in the in the in the kind of the big play of things on the world stage of things he's just doing that just because if we don't do it the chinese will chinese is uh, pretty much uh, taking over the planet aren't they that's the chinese <laughs> are going to take over the planet and yeah. when we hear when we talk about you know that the UFO puzzle may be solved in thirty or forty years, which some people think that the scientific community will come around in about thirty or forty years and really do scientific study on UFOs. It's not going to be the United States doing that. I can guarantee you it uh, uh, that to you. I, I, I can guarantee that it will be the Chinese or the Indian government who will do that kind of research because that's where the power is going to be on this planet in the next you know, starting maybe in 10 years and then for the next 100 years because they just, you know, they they don't let anything stop them. I mean, China is the most polluted country in the world. There's no doubt about it, you know, mm-hmm. but there's no stopping them. They're going to go to the moon. They're going to go to Mars first probably. They'll yeah. be the people who, you know, go to all these different places in the solar system. And, and I hate to say it, but I think that because of the um, – the way the political situation is in Washington, I think there's a lot of corruption, and um, I think we're in a decline. Chinese and then they're, they're no angels, that's for sure. But they're on they're on the ascent. Yeah, I, I definitely
4: agree with you. I think they'll definitely be the ones who reach Mars first. Uh, you know, with our space program being you know at at a standstill right now, uh, I think they'll definitely beat us on the race to Mars. I agree with you. Which and is crazy because you
1: know, back in the
4: '60s, that was so important to us. You know, the race right. to the moon and
1: right and and, and when we made it you know that that you know there's there's a there's a certain amount there's a pride factor involved there it's not just a scientific thing there's a pride factor hey listen you know we got together we put our heads together we went to the moon well i think the chinese and i agree with you i think they're going to be they're going to go back to the moon soon and they will be the first people to go to mars and i think and the chinese are also very interested in ufos and i think it will be them who say let's look at you know, we have the money. We have the resources. Let's look into the UFO puzzle, try to solve it scientifically. And I think they're the ones who are going to do it. And I don't think it's going to be the U.S.
4: You know, Mac, what do you make of reports like the one that just came out recently from NASA that they found a the star system uh, about 20 light years away, I think, uh, that has seven planets around it and three of them support or in are uh, in the Goldilocks zone? That might mm-hmm. be able to support life on it. Uh, it's amazing that NASA
1: still comes out with reports like this, considering everything that is kind of talked about with NASA. Right. You know, that's another thing about, you know, I don't believe that, that I know there are a lot of people out there who think that NASA has a secret space program. And I talked to someone, um, you know, fairly recently who believes that, that, um, you know, that we have, that NASA has, you know, uh, space travel and we have a secret, uh, you know, army of uh, space soldiers and stuff like that. I don't believe any of that because you know NASA is a really incompetent kind of uh, organization. Um just there's a uh, book called Firefly which is the story about how um uh, US astronauts went up to the Mir space station in the 70s and the 80s when we had nothing flying around up there and then just read the story about the International Space Station how that was put together how you know, it it you know cost billions of dollars that went nowhere. It was completely mismanaged, and they're up there, and they really don't do anything. And Richard Nixon is the one who, you know, he was the in, he was the president when they landed on the moon, and then after that happened, he essentially you know uh, vetoed all man U.S. manned exploration of space afterwards. You know, NASA is really a, an over, it's a bloated bureaucracy, a lot of politics involved a lot of um, stuff where um, these companies that are also defense manufacturers just, you know, really you know spend a lot of our money and do nothing with it. I can't believe that they could, you know, launch a rocket in secret with secret space soldiers, have bases on different planets. I, I just don't buy any of that. I think, though, one of the things that they are going to do very soon is they're going to launch some kind of a space probe or uh, an orbiting um, laboratory, like the Hubble, where they're going to be able to look at these exoplanets, they call them, where they think uh, there's life, and they're going to be able to detect whether there is carbon atoms in the atmosphere, and if they can detect carbon atoms in the atmosphere, that's going to be pretty close to proof that there is some kind of intelligent life on that planet, because I guess carbon atoms don't naturally appear in atmospheres. They have to be made by, you know, like burning fossil fuels and stuff like that. So what this satellite is going to do is look at the atmosphere of these planets and determine, let's say, quote-unquote, man-made, you know, atoms and stuff in the atmosphere. If they can find one. See, I think there's one thing that could turn this all around, and we're talking about how bad things are, you know, on this planet. (laughs) If for some reason we found intelligent life in outer space, if we got the message from SETI tomorrow, then all those people who we were talking about earlier, and all of us, we'd have a completely changed point of view. I mean, if we knew that there was intelligent life out there, then all of a sudden we're not alone on this planet. I think it would affect all the religions on this planet, but it would also think people would say, well, wow, we are maybe someday we are going to meet people from another planet. We are going to meet the people who are flying around in UFOs. It's not a puzzle anymore. I think that would change the attitude of the way people thought on this planet and, and right, the, change it from what they how they run things now. Um, I, as I say, I think it would change religions. I think it would just change everyone's kind of philosophy. Another thing that would change it is if we found an asteroid hit heading our way. So, and mm. if we had a ten-year, uh, yes, you know what I mean. What would we do? Really, what would we do? You know, and we're maybe, not
4: even prepared to deal with that technologically. I right. mean, there's no defense right now there's no
1: defense right now but let's say you we could tell that in 10 years an asteroid was going to hit the earth and if we didn't do something about it it's then it's going to be extinction what will we do you know would we get our act together enough to like do another moon program get something up there to deflect this thing that's something that the entire planet could work on and maybe if we were successful in doing it things would change but Hmm. It te- it, but the sad thing is, it would have to take something as extreme as that to change the way things are now, in my opinion.
4: It's amazing how defenseless we really are to passing comets and passing space debris. Right. You know, it, 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 look, it's stuff lands on the Earth all the time, and we're not even told about it. Do you mm-hmm. think if something really big was heading our way, that we'll even find out about it? The government I don't know. will keep it a secret. <laughs>
1: Okay. What would you what do you think? I think about that all the time. You know, if Obama knew something was heading our way and it was gonna hit us in three months, would 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 he tell people? Or would it just would they just let it happen? What's the point in telling people? You know, but you'd have mass panic and Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a tough one. That's a t- I think word would, would eventually leak out. I think there would be scientists who would see this thing coming and say, Hey listen, your government is not leveling with you but this is gonna happen. But just think of the chaos that would happen if we if we all knew we had just like three months to look at the entire planet. What what would happen? It would be, it'd be chaos,
4: total anarchy. I mean, yeah. It'd just yeah, it'd be complete chaos. Now that would actually be a great way to answer whether their aliens are interacting with us or not, because if there is something coming our way and it, it does hit us and there's mm-hmm. no alien intervention, that means they were never really paying close right. attention to
1: us at all. That's right. That's absolutely right. I mean, if if they were going to show up. At any time that would be the time for them to show up to save us right you know
4: that would be actually a great way for them to make first contact you think
1: right yeah either that or we'll see a bunch of UFOs going in the wrong direction and they just you know, abandoning <laughs> us you know you know speaking of which what do you make of the
4: footage that came out in the 90s the uh, the secret uh, NASA footage um, by Martin Stubbs the mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the, that footage that showed all the all the UFOs on outer space uh, with a tether program
3: with a no, tether no. Our
4: project that broke broke, uh, with a tether broken it just started floating into outer space and you see all the little <laughs> UFOs floating around. Did you ever see that footage?
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. I just don't believe any of that. I, I don't because I just don't believe NASA's is competent. They're not competent enough to do what they tell us they do. I can't imagine them being competent <laughs> enough to do stuff that would be top secret. And, and um, you know, they they're turning a lot of the space program on, over to private contractors now. And, of course, you have a problem there. But, you know, it's probably best because, you know, I have read a few things, a few books about NASA, and and they're just never very complimentary. And um, especially the politics involved are just unbelievable. I mean, the, the whole idea when the, the Challenger blew up, how, you know, they knew that, that you know, that shouldn't have taken off that morning. But right. the political pressure, because they wanted Reagan to say in his State of the Union address that night that, you know, we've put the teacher into orbit, I mean, the political pressure for them to launch that, you know, they had no other choice, so they launch it and most people get killed, you know. I mean, it, it, NASA is, is is a real, they're like Amtrak, you know what I mean? they love like yeah. Amtrak. They really know better in a lot of yeah. ways, the way that it's run. So I can't believe that they would have all this really kind of top secret whiz-bang stuff out like to believe it's true, but I just don't think they were in an organization that could do anything like that.
4: Well, you know, it's it's funny you say that, and I completely agree with you 100%. I think NASA, in many ways, is just a smokescreen for maybe other projects that may be going on by the government itself. But uh, NASA is kind of like the face to the space program. We need to have some kind of a face for the people to believe, you know, there's something really that they're working on. But, you know, the best description I've ever heard of NASA is never a straight answer because you really never seem to get your proper answer on anything with NASA,
1: right? And and there was a um, Robert Heinlein who was a famous science fiction writer back in the fifties and sixties. He said um, only NASA could make going to the moon boring. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and he's right. He's right. I mean, they made it boring, and they and 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 they, you know, I mean, being in a space station up in space, that's quite an accomplishment. There's no doubt about it. But they don't really do anything. You know, they don't do anything up there. They're just kind of floating around up there. Or if they're doing stuff that, you know, has any kind of importance to how we're going to live, they should let us know about it. But you never hear about it. You never hear about it. And when the when they retired the space shuttle fleet and they flew one of those space shuttles to Los Angeles and they put it in a museum out there, there was a lot of coverage of it flying out there and going down the street. And there was like a parade they got more coverage, more publicity for that than, you know, for an actual shuttle launch itself. So uh, I just don't think NASA could, you know, I think they barely are able to do what they do. Half of the probes they've sent to Mars have been failures. Yeah, uh, You know, I mean, come on. It's, it's, it's just not a well-run organization, and, and I really don't think they're doing anything behind the scenes. I don't think they're competent enough to do anything behind the scenes.
4: Yeah, I don't think them directly are very competent either. But like I said, I, I think there's different areas of the government where there are other people working on different things that even NASA might not even know about.
1: Yeah, you know, that's and, you that's know? very true. Yeah, there's I yeah. mean, there's a base out in California, Vandenberg Air Force Base, where they're shooting stuff up into... Uh, orbit, you know, all the time. You know, they have, like, mm-hmm. a, this little mini robot space shuttle that goes up and stays up there for six or seven months that no one really knows what it does, you know. So you're right. I'm sure that there is some kind of secret space program that the military controls, and they're smart enough to keep NASA out of it, probably.
4: Do you think, though, that NASA would cover up, uh, like, for example, that Tether video? Uh, it's an amazing video. I don't know if you're 100% familiar with what I'm talking about, but it's uh, it was a Tether project where they were trying to harness uh, zero-point energy in space, mm-hmm. and what it, what it did is they released a 15-mile-long cable into right. space. And the thing breaks and starts floating into deep space and then Mm -hmm. you see all these UFOs show up in the video. Uh, do you think NASA, I mean, as incompetent as they are, this would, it's perfect that this leaks out of its authentic footage of real UFOs in deep space. Uh, because NASA is so incompetent that this would leak out, wouldn't it? I mean, this,
1: well, yeah, you know, I mean, I I think they're so incompetent, I believe anything about them. But there's so many videos out there now. You know that it's so hard to tell these days too, because it's so easy to fake stuff now. Oh, that's that's another so true. thing. Yep. That really clouds things up. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. with um, uh, you know, let's say Gulf Breeze happened, you know, now, okay. I mean, the, those photos would be just so much better, you know, because you could Photoshop them better, right? And, and you can you can just do t- so many things with videos, you know. Yes. Billy Meyer is the same thing. I, I really, I really don't think. I really don't think NASA knows any more about UFOs than the military does. And if there's a if there's a video out there of, of UFOs, because a lot of the astronauts said that they, you know, the astronauts going to the moon said that they did see things following them. So, you know, what do I know? You know, I, I just think that anything having to do with NASA is more likely to go wrong than go right completely agree with you you know tell
4: us a little bit about your show you know you do this as well and we've mentioned it before you are a host and you have a lot of the same people that i have had on this show mm-hmm. on your show you know we kind of are in the same genre here tell the audience a little bit about you know your show and when they can listen to it
1: well it's called uh, mac maloney's military x files and um i think we're on a, a competing network but yeah, it's, we are. it's uh, yeah, radio uh, dot com. we're on wednesday night seven thirty to nine o'clock Eastern time. And, um, we talk to, we try to get guests on that, um, really can talk to the UFOs and with the military connection. We've, we talk to fighter pilots who come on and we, uh, disguise their voices and, uh, we don't give their real names and they tell, you know, real stories about UFOs that they've seen while flying around. We, we do the same thing for airline pilots, for people who fly for the government. Um, we have people on who, Have credible stories, or if they want to come on and argue with me, uh, you know, that's, those are my favorite shows. Uh, we try to, we've had people on who try to convince everyone that the Nazis did have a base on the moon, and, you know, they're in for an argument if they, and I tell them that ahead of time, you know, that, we're not going We don't agree. You know, if you want to come on and defend your position, you know, let's go. Uh, we're going to have someone on about chemtrails uh, next month. Um, we're going to have. Um, we've had people on about nine eleven, the nine eleven conspiracies, and, and they they all seem to hang up on me. Um, <laughs> and, you know we start kind of being rational about things, but it makes for good radio. We get a lot of response to it, and uh, you know it's fun to do. It's fun to do. And, you know, in, in, in the last time I was on, I didn't have the radio show, but it's, it's a lot like your radio show, to tell you the truth. You know, you just bring people on who are interesting and talk to them about it, and you don't agree with everything they say, but it's entertaining radio, so that's what we try to do.
4: How how much of uh, the whistleblowers do you actually believe, though, in in all honesty?
1: Well, you know, some of these whistleblowers are in it for the money. You know, you can, you can make money, uh, blowing the whistle. And, um, um, I suppose you can. You have to take it all with a grain of Baker salt. Mitchell? I don't know about Edgar Mitchell, <laughs> to tell you the truth. I really don't. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, you, you think well. Here's a guy. He has to be smart enough to be an astronaut. Smart enough to be picked to you know to go on these key missions. You know, but some of the stuff he says is just you know so out there. I I, I just don't know. I he's and a, he's
4: gotten paid, back. Yes, I mean, right. Metro has made a lot of money yes. uh, with his stories, and all of them are completely without any backing or any proof, which right. is what always gets me.
1: You see, I'll give you just a real quick story. I gave, I've only given like one speech um, to a UFO audience, and uh, it was to a MUFON conference in a state that I won't mention. And I was one of five speakers. And I get up there and I talked about UFOs in wartime, as you mentioned before. And, and, and that's just something where I just kind of took documented evidence and put it all together in a chronological order. And you read the book and you can either believe it or not. But I'm just saying this is what people said. And, you know, there's a good chance that UFOs show up during wartime more than they show up during peacetime. And, you know, that's my spiel, let's say. So I get up and I gave my speech and the person in, before me and the person after me just gave these speeches that were just so out of left field i mean making these claims that <laughs> that, that you know that they were in touch with with secret you know cia pilots telling them about ufo dogfights and and, you know, one guy was, was, he was basically a deputy sheriff in a small town in Virginia. And he's talking about how he gets called down to Washington all the time. And, you know, the seals go to him for advice. And, and, and he knew Jason Bourne and, you know, all this stuff. And we're saying, Jason Bourne's a fictional character. Wait and, a second. That's where yeah, the
4: red flag goes up.
1: Yeah. And, and the audience was enraptured by him, Angel. I'm telling you, they were enraptured by him. You could hear a pin drop when he was speaking. Where when I was giving my spiel, I was more like a professor giving a lesson. You know, it was strange because my stuff was just a little more credible, but it was boring. This guy's story was like, wow, you know, and and people were asking him for his autograph and stuff. And I can tell you 100% of it was BS, you know. Um, That's just getting back to, you know, what we were saying about earlier. That's what's wrong with the UFO community is that you can't believe everything that people tell you. You have to do your own discovery. You have to you have to separate what is obvious BS to, from what people have documented and what re- eyewitnesses have really seen. Uh, Dr. Hynek, J. Allen Hynek, is the person. He's the hero. He's the guy who worked for the government and then went over to our side and said, you know, something is happening here, but you have to look at it scientifically. Right. And, um, and, and until the majority of people in the UFO community... Kind of embrace that. I think. I. I don't think we're really going anywhere. Um,
4: and and then you have the the crazies who come up with stuff like the Star Children. Don't yeah. you just love those the new yep.
1: Yes. Right. And, and and you know have talked to. I um, you know who have talked to this kind of alien and this kind of alien and. Right. and you know in, indigo
4: and, crystal
1: children yep. we and we know to... they're here from here and here and, and then that and babies born in hospitals that are half human and half alien and and you know well where are they you know what i mean where, where are these half alien babies that are supposed to be running around what are they doing how are they affecting things they're not making this place better we know that already uh, people you know they want to believe as you said earlier that's the perfect way of saying it. people want to believe and so they'll believe anything and, you know, again, I, I I just think it's it's to the negative. I think it's 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 the wrong way, the wrong direction to go. I think we have to look right. at the UFO puzzle in a scientific way. That's the only way to do it. That's the only way to figure out what's really going on.
4: A lot of it has to do also, Mac, and we cannot escape the reality that a lot of it has to do with the amount of crazies that there are in this country alone, not only in the world, but you know, mental illness is a terrible affliction that afflicts mm-hmm. a lot of Americans. And I think that plays a big part in people creating these alternate realities, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh, yes. You know what I mean?
1: Yep. And they'll tell one story and then someone else will hear that and then they'll they'll take that story, embellish it on their own, tell Correct. it to someone else. And it and it's like a domino effect. You know, and and as I keep saying, and it just further clouds the issue. And, um, and there's, it, how, but how can you prevent people from doing that? You know, how can you prevent people? When I started looking into UFOs, yeah, you know, hey, I wanted to believe that the Nazis had a base on the moon because that would mean we're still up there or something. You know, I mean, there's something cool about thinking that. Right. Um, there's something cool about thinking that NASA might have some kind of a, Secret space program, and we already have rockets and secret space soldiers and stuff like that. But when you really sit down and look at it and and think about the reality of it, um, it, it's just impossible. It's impossible because we would because we would live in a different world. I think we would live in a different world if if a UFO actually crashed at at Roswell. I think we would live in a different world if if the U.S. actually had bunches of crashed UFOs um, that they can reverse engineer. But you just don't see the results of it. So I I have a hard time believing that it's true.
4: You know, Mac, you mentioned Roswell. That is the holy grail of ufology. Do you you think that Roswell really happened? I mean, what do you think of Roswell?
1: I don't think anything happened to Roswell, and I know that I know I'll get letters and emails and everything now. But if you really look at what Roswell, what happened there, I think what happened was that a top secret weather balloon crashed there, and I think the Air Force had to come up with some kind of a cover story, and the cover story was that we found a UFO.
4: Why a UFO, though? I mean, of all the things.
1: Right. Well, because UFOs at the time, uh, you know, uh, Kenneth Arnold had only termed the term flying saucer just a few weeks before that happened. And I think it was just the most convenient way of, of, and I think it was done in haste, but I think it was the most convenient way of covering up what at the time was one of our most top secret projects, which was sending acoustic balloons over the Soviet Union to see if they were testing atomic weapons or not. And... um, and when you look at what has happened at Roswell since then, in fact, we had Jesse Marcel Jr. on our show a few months ago, and he's a great guy. I don't know if you ever talked to him or not, but he is a. You have
4: never gone to interview Jesse Marcel Jr., yeah. and I've always wanted.
1: Well, you to have should him do it show. because he's an outstanding individual. And believe me, I thought I was going to have one of those arguments on my hands on the on the radio show, and he, and he completely uh, fooled me. Let's say because he's he's an outstanding individual. At seventy four years old, he was brought. He was drafted back into the uh, U.S. military. He's a doctor and sent over to Iraq. Can you imagine being seventy-four years old and, and, and being in Iraq, Iraq tending oh, wounded wow. soldiers? But he doesn't live in Roswell anymore. He lives up in the American Northwest because he doesn't like what Roswell has turned into. You know, it's a, it's a circus down there. Every day there's museums, there's this, there's a lot of chachi stuff going on. And, and I think that and there's so many books that have been written about the place. And that, some of them say that, you know, 12 UFOs crashed there and, you know, 50 aliens were found. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. I, 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 I don't think anything happened there other than this balloon crashing. They needed a quick cover story. And that was the cover story they came up with. and And it's turned into what it is now
4: it's really become part of pop culture almost it's kind of amazing there's even Mm -hmm. a show that came out uh, a decade ago called roswell which is all about the the roswell crash so i mean america really ate it up
3: oh yeah
1: well it's a a great story you know i mean has all the elements of a great story a great fiction story but once again you can say anything you want about what happened at roswell and there's no one who can stand up and say no you're wrong but you know, I, I would say, well, why would 12 UFOs crash at Roswell? Right. What's the matter with these <laughs> UFOs? Why are they crashing? I mean, you
4: figure, they, they come here from, like, Alpha Centauri or whatever, right. 20 light years away, and they get here, and all of a sudden they have, you know, engine failures.
1: Yeah, really? they run out of gas. And why, <laughs> you know, <laughs> why there? So I really don't think anything happened there. I think there were really deep, legitimate ufo mysteries you know and i and i think that the government knows about them more than they're letting us on but i i don't believe the government knows the answer to the mysteries they might have more information on them but i just don't think there's there's a better story of a ufo crashing in aztec new mexico um in 1947 uh that has more credibility than roswell to tell the truth wow
4: really okay Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, it's um, you know a, 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 a UFO crashed near a um, oil field out in the middle of the uh, in Aztec, New Mexico, and there were a number of oil workers there. There were people who were driving by who saw this thing, looked in, you know, looked in and could see pe- uh, you know beams in it. The um, military shows up. Um, they had to build a cement foot stand. Uh, to put a crane onto to lift this thing up, put it on a um, truck and drive it away, and that concrete pad is still there out in the middle of the desert. There's, in my opinion, there's some credible evidence that if you if you just go out there and you ask, well, why would this piece of cement be out in the middle of the desert?
2: Hmm.
1: You know, what's this doing here, other than you know the fact that it it it, it played a role in retrieving this crashed UFO? Yeah, I'm not saying that it's that it's true or that it happened, but there's a lot more documentation for the Aztec crash than there is for Roswell. That was and, in
4: '48, right?
1: Yeah. Yes, and and there's no, and what's what's good about it is there's no museums there, there's no parades every day. You know what I mean? It's it's just this place out in the middle of nowhere where a lot of people saw something happen, and and now there's this, you know. Go to New Mexico and try to figure out why is this big concrete pad there? What is it doing out in the middle of the desert? Why would the government put it there? You know, <laughs> Try to find out that answer, and if you can't find out the answer, then you know it's kind of like, well, maybe there's some truth to this crash.
4: That's a great uh, story for unraveling the secrets. Which airs on PSN Radio also Mac, you're an amazing, fascinating guest to have on Thank you so much for being on We're almost out of time But Mm -hmm. I want you to tell the audience real quick again How they can listen to your show Where they can get the books Obviously Amazon, it's uh, all over the place, right?
1: yeah with that uh, beyond area 51 it's in every bookstore across the country and uh you can go on amazon and, and order it we also have i also wrote a, a novella called uh, attack on area 51 i just happen to have two area 51 books out at the same time complete coincidence i used to do a series called wingman about a jet fighter pilot and yep. it uh, the last book was published in 1999 and people have been urging me to bring them back so uh, i did and that's attack on area 51 that's a download from amazon cost two bucks um, so the best place to go to is MacMaloney.com, and that will lead you to all the places where you can buy all this Mac Maloney project, uh projects and product.
4: That is awesome, Mac. You're an awesome guest to have <laughs> on, like I said. Got to have you back on soon, because we could go on for like four hours on a show okay. easily. Anytime. Angel.
1: <laughs> so, Anytime.
4: And, again, I love the book. Uh, now, uh, is there another book uh, you're working on for the near future, like uh, after the novella and this book now? Are you
1: working on something else yep, uh, you want to um, uh, tell us about? Not a UFO book. I might be through with the UFO books, to tell you the truth. Um, really? You know, yeah. I've, I've You know, it's been four years now, and um, I got a feeling that I might have, you know, said all that can be said as far as my view on UFOs is concerned. I can leave it to other people like Nick Redfern and Jerry Clark and people like that to really kind of uh, carry it on. They know more about it than I do anyway. But, um, I mean, never say never. But as of right now, I think that. Um, uh, beyond Area Fifty One might be the last one, at least for a while.
4: Wow! And uh, any new music that we might you know, be expecting from yep.
1: uh, Sky Club, the band that um, you know, we did the first CD where we're, we're right. back together in the studio. We're doing a uh, album called Ufology, to tell you the truth, and it's uh, what we're the doing right, is we're yeah. taking ten songs about UFOs and uh, we're rearranging them and putting them in order to tell a little story. So we're very excited about that.
4: Guys, check out for all that cool stuff coming from Mac Maloney. Uh, Mac, we'll definitely have you back on soon, man. You're an awesome guest, like I said. Thank you, sir. Everybody, please listen in to this song by Mac Maloney. It's, uh, It's a really, really cool track, and it was requested by Zod Ryder, one of our hosts here on the network, Silent Running on Dangerous Ground. We'll be back next week on Sunday, everybody. Now, for everybody on Inside the Jackals Head, everybody on PSN Radio, I want to wish everybody a great night. Take care, everybody.